I enjoy so much the fellowship with you folks, with your pastor and his family, and it's just a delight to see you in your place in church this morning. Take your Bible, if you will. Let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, if you will. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5. We're going to look at just one verse as our text this morning. It's an important truth that God has placed here in the middle of this chapter that I want us to try to latch on to today. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we're going to read verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Humanly speaking, all of us enjoy a certain amount of change. We like things that change. We, we like it when the weather changes a bit. Uh, nobody likes hot, sunny days every day of their life. Uh, we like a little rain. We like a few clouds. We like to see the change of seasons. We like a change of clothes. Nobody likes to wear the same clothes over and over and over again. We like a new outfit, a new tie, a new accessory of some kind. We enjoy those changes that we make to our wardrobe. We like a change if we're a student in a class, or we like a new teacher, a new grade. We don't all eat the same food every day, every meal. It's nice to eat a good steak, but boy, wouldn't you hate to eat one three times a day for the rest of your life? It's nice to have just a good old hamburger once in a while. We like a change of food. All of us enjoy, to some degree, changes in our life. But isn't it interesting when God speaks to us about change? Oftentimes we resist that. We say, now, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Uh, I, I just want to kind of stay status quo. Don't be, don't be rocking the boat here. I'm, I'm good just like I am. When God begins to work in our lives and desires change, oftentimes we resist that. Are you interested in changes that God wants to make in your life today? We would be excited perhaps to try some new food or maybe uh, buy some new accessory to wear. Or we would be interested if there was a great change in the weather. But are we interested in the changes that God wants to make in our lives? I want you to notice with me here in this passage of Scripture a change in three dimensions that God wants to make. When I was uh, in eighth grade, I had a general science class, and uh, science wasn't my favorite subject anyway, but I went to that class that day somewhat disinterested. But the teacher stood up at the beginning of the class and he said, today we're going to study metamorphosis. And I kind of perked up at that. And I thought, wow, I wonder what kind of dinosaur this is. And the teacher proceeded to reach under the lab table and pull out a large jar. And inside that jar was a, a stick, a twig, and on that stick was kind of a furry-looking thing that the teacher described as a cocoon. And he told how a caterpillar had crawled up that stick and formed that cocoon around him. And if we would be patient, if we would wait and watch, that eventually something would take place inside that cocoon. It's called in the science world metamorphosis, a change of form. For out of that cocoon would not come that same 
uh, caterpillar or worm. But rather out of that cocoon would come a beautiful butterfly. And that is exactly what God wants to do in our lives. As we come to him and allow him to make change in our life, he makes something brand new, something far more desirable than anything you and I could even imagine. And so I want you to see this change this morning that God desires in three dimensions. First of all, let's think about the designer of change. The Bible tells us here in our verse, verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ. You see, this change that we're talking about this morning is not a change that we can make on our own. It's not a change that you and I have the ability or the power to make. This change is designed by God himself. Aren't you glad that God makes the first move in our life? Truth is, you and I would not love God if he had not loved us first. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, this was manifested, the love of God, and that he sent his only son into the world that we through him might live. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were yet sinners, when we were lost, when we were undone, God made the first move and intersected into our life. And God said, I want to make a change in their life. You see, when God created us, when God created man, he created Adam and Eve perfect. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that the Lord made man in his own image, after his likeness. Well, we know from the Bible that God is perfect. He's sinless. He is absolutely without fault or error. And so when God made man in his image, he made him perfect. But we all know what happened. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said unto the woman, Hath God said ye shall not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden? And the woman said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, God has said ye shall not eat of it, neither shalt thou touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Adam and Eve, made in the very image of God, made perfect, sinless, now disobeyed the direct command of God. And when they did, that sin entered into their life and marred that image. It spoiled that image. Now they were separated from a holy God. Now their sin drove them from his presence and fellowship. But aren't you glad that God still loved man? 
Aren't you glad that God was still interested in man? And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God said, man is now a sinner, but I'm going to design a change. I'm going to design something whereby his life can be transformed, where metamorphosis can take place, and I can change him from a sinner to a child of God. And that's exactly what God has designed for each one of us. You see, our sins have separated us from God. Our iniquities have hid his face from us that he will not hear. But God devised a plan whereby you and I could be brought back into fellowship with him. And that initial change that God wants to make in our life is called salvation. It is an instantaneous, radical change that takes place the moment you and I put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. When we make that decision, instantaneously, we go from darkness to light, from lost to found, from a child that's on their way to hell to a child that's on their way to heaven. Instantaneous, radical change called salvation. A change of position. So that when God looks at us, he no longer sees us as a lost sinner on our way to hell, but he sees us a child of his on their way to heaven. But you know, after we get saved, God has another change in mind. After we get saved, salvation is a change of position. But the moment we get saved, God begins another process of change that the Bible calls sanctification. This change is a gradual change over our lifetime that doesn't end until we get to heaven, which is called glorification. Then we'll be like him. But in this intermediate time between salvation and heaven, God has designed a process of change that is gradual in nature. Paul described it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He said, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you got up this morning, you looked into a glass. You looked into a mirror. And you probably noticed that some changes needed to take place before you came to church. Thank you for making those changes. I hope you probably noticed first that you needed to perhaps take a shower, maybe brush your teeth, maybe comb your hair, perhaps put some makeup on or shave your beard. Hopefully you didn't come to a church in the clothes you slept in. There were some changes that you said, I've got to make to be presentable to go to church. You know what? God saves us. And the moment we get saved, we become a child of God. But God says, you know what? I got some changes I want to make before you get to heaven. And I want you to look in my word as in a glass. I want you to look in my word as in a mirror. And I want you to see Sunday after Sunday and day after day as you come to the word of God, some changes that I want to make. And it's called sanctification. It's a gradual changing that we might become more like Christ. You see, God gave to the church some gifts. He gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave pastors and teachers. Why? Why did he give these people? Why did God give you a pastor? Well, the Bible says in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, for the perfecting of the saints, 
for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God has given us a church. God's given us the word of God in order that we might become more and more like him. And he wants every day of our life to be a process of change. Are we interested in the change that God has designed for our life? Are you in Christ this morning? Have you been saved? Are you positionally, as God looks at you, does he see you as a child of God? Have you made that decision of salvation? And if so, then are you willing to let God change you through the process of sanctification so you can become more like him? God has designed this change. But I want you to notice, secondly, we must make a decision to change. God has designed the change, but the change requires a decision on our part. Notice in verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ. Now, if would indicate that it's not automatic. If would indicate that there's a decision that needs to be made on our part. You see, God loves the world. God sent his son to die on a cross. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. One of the most amazing things to me about God is that he loves people that will never love him back. He sent his son to die for people that will never get saved. Jesus Christ bore the penalty of sin upon himself that some people will never ask forgiveness for. God did his part. But you see, man has to make a decision to be saved. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Likewise, as a Christian, God has given us everything in this book. As we look in this mirror, God has given everything we need to know to become like him. But that doesn't mean we automatically become like him just because he's given us a manual. We've got to look in that mirror and we've got to make those changes by his grace through his power to become like him. Are we willing to make those decisions to change? Are you willing to get saved? Are you willing to become sanctified? You say, well, what's my motivation? Look up in verse 14. Paul says here earlier in this chapter, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Listen, if somebody offered you a million dollars today, would you take it? Well, I suppose, you know, think about it, you know. Talk to my people, you know. No, no, you take it. Somebody offered you a valuable gift, you take it. Not much of a choice there. That's a no-brainer. Well, God's offering you eternal life. Don't you think it'd be wise to take him up on that offer? Wouldn't it be a wise decision to get saved? And Christian, God is offering us a life like him. Perfection. Becoming more and more Christ-like. Why would we resist that? Why would we not want to be a better person, a better Christian, a a person more equipped to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords? Why would we resist that? But we have a decision 
to make. We must choose this day whom we will serve. We can't serve two masters. Either we'll hate the one and love the other, or else we'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. There must be a decision to change. So the designer of change is God. The decision to change is up to us. I want you to see, thirdly, the dynamic of change. What does change involve? What is God really talking about when he speaks of change? Probably many of us have decided to change in the past. Maybe under the preaching of God's word, we've even come to an altar and made a decision. Perhaps in the privacy of our own life, we have come to grips with some things in our life that aren't, aren't good or need to change, and we've, we've made some decisions, only to find ourselves a few weeks later or a few months later or a few years later to be just like we were. So what does change involve? What is this matter of metamorphosis, this change of form? You know, it's really not that complicated. It's really very simple. Look again at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Change. Old passes away. All becomes new. If I said to you, I believe I'm going to change my clothes before the service tonight. Do you have any trouble understanding that? That's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? If I said, I'm going to change clothes before the service tonight at 530, you would know exactly what I'm going to do. Now, I will assure you that none of you in your mind thought just in that brief moment ago, oh, Brother Getch, sometime before 530, is going to put another suit on over that one. That's not what you were thinking. Because that's not changing clothes. That's adding layers. Okay? Isn't it interesting that a lot of people, when they think about salvation, that is going to heaven, they simply want to add something to what they already are? I mean, they're already religious. They're already a decent person. So it wouldn't hurt to add this Jesus stuff on top of that. But that's not change. You see, adding religion, adding church membership, adding baptism, or adding some good works to your life doesn't make you a Christian. A lot of times we as believers, we get to this point of sanctification and, and God says, hey, there's some things in your life that need to change. You're not what I want you to be yet and I want some changes. And so we say, okay, uh, what do I need to add, Lord? What do I need to put in my life? Oh, you want me to come to church? Okay, I'll come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. I'll get that squared away. And uh, Oh, you want me to read my Bible? Okay, I'll add that into my schedule. Uh, oh, you want me to witness my family and my friends? Okay, I'll grab some tracks and this week I'll try to be a witness. And we add things to our life. But that's really not change. It's just adding layers. Nor did you think a moment ago when I said I'm going to change clothes for the service tonight, none of you had in your mind, oh, Brother Getch is going to 
take those clothes off and come tonight with nothing on. Now, please don't think about that very long, okay? <laughs> but I'll assure you, none of you had that in your mind. Why? Because that would be equally as ridiculous. That's not changing anything. That's merely taking off. You see, change is exactly what the Bible explains here. It's putting off the old and putting on the new. When you get saved, when you come to Christ and you say, I, I need to go to heaven, I want to go to heaven, I need to be saved. What you're doing at salvation in that radical moment of change is you are repenting of your sin. You are repenting of everything you're trusting to get you to heaven. And you are trusting the only one who can save you, and that is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not your good works plus Jesus. It's say, no, my works will never save me because it's not by works of righteousness which I have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. You see, it's a, it's a turning away from all that we're trusting and putting our faith completely in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, the change God wants in our life is not simply adding a few more things to our list of duties as a Christian or simply getting some things out of our life that may be negative, but rather getting out the old and putting on the new in its place. And this dynamic is taught throughout the scripture over and over and over again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. See, God says, hey, there's some people, there's some counsel, there's some things that need to go out of your life, and, and then you need to get your counsel from the word of God, and you need to make your friends among the godly. He says, depart from evil and do good. Awake to righteousness, sin not. Over and over again, he gets real succinct in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says in verse 22 that you put off concerning the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us. And then in verse 24, and that you put on the new man. You see, it's putting off. It's putting on. It's a decision by the grace of God to change. Are you willing to change? Is God speaking to you this morning about salvation? Are you willing to decide, okay, I'm going to trust Christ and Him alone? Child of God, are you willing to let God make these changes in your life by putting off that which displeases God and putting on those things that please Him? Several years ago, I was preaching a revival in Delavan, Wisconsin. On Sunday afternoon, the pastor showed me a letter that he had received in the mail that previous week. It was a letter from two college girls who were attending a Christian college in Florida. And they had written this pastor, and they said in the letter, Pastor, you don't know us, we don't know you. We just heard about your church there in Delavan. And our grandparents live a few miles away on a lake near your town. We've tried to witness to them. We've, we've talked to them over the phone about their need of Christ. We've written them some letters, sent them some tracts. But we were wondering if you would go by and talk to our grandpa and grandma. They're getting up in years, and especially grandpa is not doing well physically. Would you go talk to them? 
Well, the Monday morning came and we got in the car and we drove and tried to find this house that they had given us the address for. They lived on a lake property and it was kind of designed to be private where you couldn't find it very easily. But we finally located the house, pulled in the driveway and went up to the door. And when we went to knock on the door, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but we knocked on the door and it opened before we hit the door. We about fell into the house. And this lady, as she opened the door, she was as surprised as we were. We're all surprised. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I was expecting my neighbor. And when I heard the car, I thought it was her. I'm on my way to a dentist appointment, and she's taking me. I wasn't expecting you. And we were saying, oh, sorry, you know. And, 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 And so we talked a little bit. And the pastor shared this letter that he'd gotten from her granddaughters, and she was so excited about that. And she said, I'm so sorry, I've got to leave. My neighbor will be here any moment. And the pastor said, well, it's okay, we could come back tomorrow. And she said, that would be great. I'll be here all day. And the pastor said, well, your ride's not here yet. Would it be okay if we just stepped inside for a moment and had prayer with you and your husband? She said, pastor, my husband's not well. He's in a back room in a hospital bed. He's, He's quite ill, in fact. She said, he can't speak. And sometimes, some days, he doesn't even know who I am. He's very ill. The pastor said, well, that's okay. We, more reason for us to pray for him. He said, would you, would you mind if we just went back and had a brief prayer? She said, well, that'd be okay. We followed her down a little hallway to this back bedroom, and sure enough, here was this elderly man in his 80s, lying in this hospital bed, very frail, probably didn't weigh 100 pounds. Cancer had taken much of his life from him. He laid there in that bed. His arms were strapped to the sides of the bed because he had these sores that he would sometimes itch if they didn't tie his hands down. And So they had his hands tied. He laid there. He had this frightened look in his eyes as he saw us come into that room. And she said, uh, he's probably afraid of you. He, he doesn't like doctors. And his doctor always wears a tie. And you guys are wearing ties. And so he thinks you're a doctor. And the pastor said, oh, sir, we're not doctors, we're preachers. We just wanted to pray with you. And he asked him a few questions, but the man did not respond. He just stared straight ahead. We had a brief prayer and we left. On Tuesday morning, we came back to this home and Mrs. Slocum gladly invited us inside the living room and we sat down and began to talk with her and talked about her granddaughters and different things. And she said, you know, my granddaughter sent me a Bible. Would you like to see it? I said, I'd love to see it. She got up and went over to a little dresser there, and she pulled the drawer open at the top and pulled out this giant print Bible, and she brought it over where I was seated, and she said, it's a giant print Bible, but she said, my eyes are so bad, I can't even read it. Well, I took this rather large Bible in my lap as she went back and sat in a rocking chair across from me, and I opened it up to the front flyleaf, and the front of the Bible, there were a couple empty pages, and those granddaughters had written a letter on one of those empty pages. It said something like this, Dear Grandpa and Grandma, we're praying for you. We want you so desperately to come to know Christ as your Savior. And this book tells you how you can go to heaven when you die. Please read it and trust Christ. And they'd signed their names, and I thought, wow, this is great. I, I said, Mrs. Slocum, this is a beautiful Bible. Now, I'm sorry that your eyes are so bad that you can't read it. I said, would you mind if I read some of it to you? She said, that would be wonderful. 
I got up out of my chair and I went over to her chair where she was seated and I began to kneel down. And as I went, I was turning in my Bible as quickly as I could to 1 John chapter 5. I was going to show her how that we can know that we have eternal life. This is the record, verse 11, that God hath given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. But these things are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I was turning as quickly as I could to those verses. And as I knelt down beside her and arrived at 1 John 5, I looked down and verses 11 through 13 that I was going to read were highlighted in yellow. And I thought, those granddaughters, they highlighted these verses. And I said, look here, Mrs. Slocum, the verses I was going to read to you, it looks like your granddaughters have highlighted them in yellow. She looked at that. She said, wow, those must be important verses. I said, they really are. And I read them to her and I explained how God wants us to know we can go to heaven. And I said, Mrs. Slocum, wouldn't you like to know that you're on your way to heaven? She said, yes, I would. I said, well, there's just a few things we need to understand in order to know that we're going to heaven over here in the book of Romans. And I was turning to chapter 3. I was going to show her how that we're all sinners in verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. And verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when I got there, they were highlighted in yellow. And I read the verses and explained that we're all sinners. And I said, Mrs. Slocum, that's bad news because over here in Romans chapter 6, In verse 23, and it was highlighted in yellow, it says the wages of sin is death. That means a separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. But I said, that's that's not all the news of the Bible. There's good news. For back here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and it was highlighted in yellow, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I began to explain salvation. I took her to John 3.16. It was highlighted in yellow. I took her to John 1.12. It was highlighted in yellow. I took her to Ephesians 2.8.9. It was highlighted in yellow. Finally, I went to Romans 10, 9 and 10 and verse 13 to try to show her how that salvation is a free gift and all we have to do is ask Christ. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when I got to Romans 10, all the verses I read were highlighted in yellow. And after about 20 minutes of explaining that to her, I said, Mrs. Slocum, wouldn't you like to trust Christ as your Savior? And she did what only older people are allowed to do. She kind of straightened up in that chair and she put her hands on her hips and she said, well, I ain't getting any older, any younger. I need to do this. And there she bowed her head and trusted Christ. We had a wonderful time just talking with her for a bit and The pastor, he said, you know, Mrs. Slocum, I was thinking as you were trusting Christ as your Savior, we have a family in our church that doesn't live too far from here, and the wife is a registered nurse, and uh, they have several children, and, and, and you know, it'd be so good if you could come to our church and our people could meet you. And he said, if it, if it would be possible, I'd love for that family to maybe pick you up this coming Sunday and bring you to our church and I know that the wife would even be glad to stay with your husband while you're at church and make sure that he was medically cared for. Do you think you'd be interested in that? She said, I'd love to come to your church. He said, well, let me work on that. 
He said, I'll make a call today, and, and we'll see if we can arrange that. And he said, I've also got some literature I'd like you to be able to read, and I think maybe I could, I could blow it up on the copying machine where even you could read it. He said, I'd like to bring that by. Could, could we maybe come back on Friday and talk to you about these things? I'll try to work everything out. She said, that would be great. We got up to go, and the pastor said, would you mind if we went back and prayed with your husband again? She said, well, pastor, you were there yesterday. You, you know, he said, I know but we'll just have prayer. We followed her again back to that room and there lay the same man and the pastor tried to make a little small talk with him, but he just stared straight ahead. Finally, we prayed and we left. On Friday, we returned and we had indeed been able to arrange everything for Mrs. Slocum to come to church Sunday morning and the lady to stay with her, with her husband while the kids and the dad brought her to church and, and the pastor had gotten some materials together and blown them up in large print and he was sharing all this with her and I was just sitting there listening. And God said to me, go talk to her husband. I said, well, Lord, it, it wouldn't do any good. I mean, He's not well. He, he doesn't even know who his wife is. He, he can't speak. It wouldn't, wouldn't do any good to go talk to him. The Lord said, go talk to him. I said, well, Lord, I, I can't just walk back there. I mean, I'm a guest in this house, and the pastor and Miss Slocum are talking. It would be rude of me just to stand up and walk through the house. The Lord said, go talk to him. Have you ever had these arguments with the Lord? You never win them. So I kind of interrupted the conversation. I said, Mrs. Slocum, while you're talking to the pastor, would you mind if I go talk to your husband a minute? She said, well, you know. I said, I know. Could I borrow your Bible? She said, yeah, it's in the drawer over there. I got up and went, that, went to that drawer and pulled it open, and there was that giant print Bible, and I took it out and headed down the hallway to that back bedroom. There was Mr. Slocum lying in that bed, just as he had been the days before. I greeted him. I said, uh, hey, Mr. Slocum, how are you today? He just stared at me. I said, Mr. Slocum, I was here a couple times earlier this week with the pastor from the Baptist church. Do you, do you remember that? He just stared. I said, how are you feeling today? Do you have a lot of pain? He just stared. I said, uh, Mr. Slocum, it's, it, it's snowing outside. It was February there in Wisconsin, and big flakes were floating by the window of his bedroom. I said, it's, it's snowing outside. He turned his head, and he looked and went, Ugh. I thought, well, he understood that. I held up the Bible. I said, Mr. Slocum, this is a Bible. God's Word. Do you understand that? Oh. I said, Mr. Slocum, could I read some of the Bible to you? Oh. I went to 1 John chapter 5. I read those verses, how we can know that we have eternal life. I said, Mr. Slocum, do you understand that God wants you to know that you're on your way to heaven? Oh. I said, Mr. Slocum, there's just a few things we need to understand to go to heaven. We need to understand that we're sinners. I read him those verses in Romans 3 and explained sin. I said, Mr. Slocum, do you understand that you're a sinner? Oh. 
I said, Mr. Slocum, the Bible tells us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. What that means is if we die a sinner without Christ, we spend eternity in a place called hell, a lake of fire. Do you understand that? I said, but Mr. Slocum, Jesus Christ was sent by God to this earth to die on a cross and take our sin so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, but we could go to heaven. I said, do you understand that Jesus died on a cross for your sin? I said, then Mr. Slocum, all you need to understand to go to heaven is that you must accept this gift that Jesus Christ has already provided through his death and his burial and his resurrection. I said, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you can be saved. I said, Mr. Slocum, I know you can't talk. I know you can just kind of make some sounds. But I said, Mr. Slocum, right now, would you be willing in your heart to ask Jesus Christ to save you? I could word a prayer for you, and if you would agree with that prayer, you could, you could pray it in your heart. Would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Who? Who? I said, but Mr. Slocum, this is the Bible. God's Word. Every bit of it is true. God wants you to be saved. Wouldn't you trust Him? Who? Who? I said, but Mr. Slocum, you're not a well man. You don't have long on this earth. You need to make this decision. Wouldn't you trust Christ today? That man began to pull at those straps that he was tied with. He began to kick with his feet at the sides of that hospital bed. Oh! Oh! I don't know why that man rejected Christ. He couldn't speak. But less than 24 hours later, He went out into eternity, having made a decision. Friend, God has designed change. The dynamic of change is very simple. Put off, put on. But the decision is ours. Are you willing? to change today? Are you willing to let God save you? Are you willing to let God make the changes in your life as a Christian that He desires to make? May we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, I thank You this morning that each of us in this room understands what You're talking about here. 